You're listening to Stay Tuned with Troy and Howie. Now, from the heart of Amish country, here's Troy and Howie. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Stay Tuned with Troy and Howie. Please like us on Facebook, where you can click the anchor link to leave us a voicemail. You can follow us on Twitter at StayTunedTNH. You can even email the show at StayTunedTNH at gmail.com. You can find our merchandise at tchip.com and by searching Stay Tuned. A big thank you to Jesus Perez for helping to set that up for us. And if you need any artistic help, you can look him up on Facebook at Ace in the Hole Signs and Graphics or Dirty Baby Original. And his website is aceintheholesigns.com. We are available on all major podcast platforms, including Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. So please make sure to share, subscribe, rate, and review. We appreciate your support. Now, let's get into the show. All right, and uh, well, welcome to another episode of Stay Tuned with Troy and Howie, and uh, good morning, Troy. Hey, good morning, Howie. And uh, I'm expecting, I don't know if I, if I want to say controversy from this show, uh, but I am definitely expecting uh, a lot of hype and a lot of talk about it, uh, <laughs> because number one, we've been getting a lot of... Uh, movement on our social media and uh and i've been receiving quite a few messages um about it as well and not all these messages have been uh friendly let's just put it that way <laughs> yeah it, it's it's definitely something that's uh that's moving the needle for sure yeah yeah and um i mean let's, let's face it i mean like these last three weeks well including the next week coming up are gonna be huge weeks for us i mean we yeah. got a the Blue Eyed Six talk last week was awesome. Now this week we have Michelle Gooden talking about the uh, the unsolved Peggy Reaver murder case. Mm-hmm. And then next week, in case you haven't heard yet, we have uh, Tim McMaster lined up, who's running for the uh, the Senate seat. So yeah, this is a Libertarian candidate, by the way, not a regular Republican or Democrat. So um, you know this this is this is awesome, and we got some some huge guests lined up and um, some huge topics, honestly. Right. And this guy's not just about local news and hype either. I mean, this guy was a pro wrestler. So right. uh, we'll be I'll be interested to hear how he got to where he is today and why, you know, because uh, I'll be honest with you, I, politics is not a fun field to be in right now. I don't believe, you know, no, um, just like yeah. law enforcement. <laughs> I was just going to say that's exactly where I was going to go. That's exactly where I was going to go. Yeah, it's uh-huh. it's you know, it's it's tough and it's a lot of times it's a thankless job in, in those types of things, whether it be a politician or law enforcement or right. whatever. It's stuff that that has to be there and needs to be done. And we're always going to need that. Um, but you just don't get the reward sometimes. And um, no especially right now. It's, it's, it's a really tough time to be in that business right now. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And because let's face it, we're, we're in a, uh, in an era where no matter what suggestions or no matter what good you do, we are so divided as a country. And when I say divided, I mean divided from Republican to Democrat. Well, and in his case, libertarian, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of, we're also divided black and white. We're divided by our job position. 
I mean, there's so by many, our gender or lack our, thereof. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we are so divided in many, many ways. And uh, but yeah, uh, and and just think about like all the hype that we're receiving, um, even about this upcoming interview. Uh, this was 52 and a half years ago. Yeah. And we're still getting people who are still heated about it. And yep. really, so it, it's, uh, it's a topic worth uh, continuing to explore until someone finds who the uh, killer was or definitively defines who the killer is. Sure. I mean, this as in any unsolved murder case, like it, it should never go away. It should always be looked into. It should, it should be reopened every, you know, few years, every year or something like that. Just like, Hey, mm-hmm. did anything new come in on this? Is there yeah. anybody else talking that didn't talk before? Mm-hmm. Can we use this to link anything else together? You know, just yeah. all this kind of thing. And, and why not? I mean, that, right. that a justice is, is deserved. Yeah. Not only, not only for the victim, but it sh- it should be enforced for whoever, you know, was the perpetrator of this whole thing exactly and and you know it it stinks because basically they've gotten away with it for 52 and a half years now Mm -hmm. and if they are living you know it's basically you know going to be a sentence that they'll hardly live out at this point yeah um but still at least it would put peace at mind it would put people like michelle who digs into this and has such a passion for trying to find this out it would it would you know what I mean? It would bring Mm -hmm. a lot of her family at peace, just things like that, you know? It sure would. And uh, I I received a message uh, by somebody saying, you should just let her rest in peace. Mm. And my my response to that person was, well, you know what? Peggy didn't die in peace. Sure. You know, and, uh, and I would hope that if this were your family member, you know, that you would want justice brought, especially, I mean, and you're going to hear how brutal this murder was. And, uh, you know, in fact, you're going to hear some things that have never been brought to light before, according to, uh, uh, according to Michelle. So, you know, there's some things in there that have been done that, oh my gosh, I, I would be, yeah, I, I'd be nonstop until I found who this person was if I, yeah. if I knew Peggy herself, you know? I 100, 100% agree. Yeah. Yep. So, but yeah, so I say without further ado, why don't we, uh, why don't we jump to this uh, interview and uh, we'll do this interview right after this quick message. All right, we have another special guest uh, lined up this week and uh, another expert, uh, especially when it comes to uh, a specific crime in our area. But that crime in our area also made some uh, national headlines and, uh, and obviously a big deal here in the uh, local area as well. But we're speaking to none other than uh, author Michelle Gooden. And uh, Michelle, what is your uh, book name again? The name of my book is Justice Denied, The Unsolved Murder of Peggy Reber. Okay, excellent. Hey, nice to meet you, by the way. You as well. Thank you. Yes. Hello, Michelle. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. No problem. And and we brought you on board because we wanted to talk to you about um, one of those uh, murders that just is very intriguing and uh, just a an amazing story behind it because, and, and so many unanswered questions 
And uh, it's one of those that really, if you think about it, we could probably make a nice long Netflix series movie out of it um, with all the unanswered questions that are involved here. And, um, you know, we're talking about uh, Peggy Reber uh, more than 50 years ago, still an unsolved crime uh, where she only 14 years old at the time was murdered in her home. Uh, May 25th, 1968. And uh, Michelle, what, what got you interested in this case? And I, you know, and I know you, you lived in the uh, area at the time and maybe that was it. I don't know. I always blame it on angels. And that <laughs> sounds kind of, sounds kind of silly, but I was only five. So mm-hmm. I really shouldn't have been paying attention to the news um mm-hmm. but there was a, a one particular evening in obviously may of 1968 my mother's reaction to the news just i could see her face and i can still see her face and i'm going to be 58 next month she was looking at the small little tv screen and she wiped her hands on her half apron and slid down into my dad's chair and i knew something horrible had happened And I looked at the TV screen and there was Peggy's face. Mm. And I guess I heard through whispers because adults didn't talk around children back then like they do now. And children weren't exposed to the news like they are now. But I knew crap happened. So many years later, many, uh, I'll say about 10, 12 years later, I was on my way to the library because I was like supposed to do homework or something silly. Mm -hmm. And I said to my dad, I'm going to pull up the articles about Peggy Reaper because that's how you did it back in the day. You didn't have Google. So if I was at the library, I had access to microfiction, things of that nature. And and my dad went into a panic and he was a really mild-mannered person. <laughs> no, no, you must never do that. You must never do that. Promise me you'll never do that. <laughs> so I didn't because, you know, I just didn't want to upset my dad. And my dad passed and another 20 years passed. And I was going home for whatever reason. And I said to my friend, let's go check out this Peggy Reaver thing. And I found myself at the historical society in Lebanon great place can't promote it enough and I pulled up the newspaper articles at the time and they just generated more questions than answers yeah and when you when you looked into this crime this at this point this is you're saying maybe what 20 years past the actual crime somewhere around there it it was more than 30. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so we're looking yeah, late was, 90s, early 2000s. Yes, that, that okay. would be correct. Okay. Okay. And so you start digging into this. And was it, had you known at that time when you, before you even started digging into it, that it was still unsolved at that point? Yes. You did. Okay. So what, I guess, where did you, where did, where were you hoping to go by looking into this information? Were you just hoping to bring this case to light to see if maybe it could get reopened? No, 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 not at all. Um, 
I think I just wanted to answer my initial questions. Like I remembered seeing Peggy's face on the news and my dad made it a forbidden topic, which much of Leftman did. You just weren't allowed to discuss Peggy. And, and I was kind of like, what really happened to her? I got you. Uh, so as I started looking into what really, via the newspaper articles, I went, oh my goodness, what happened mm-hmm. to her in my best early temple voice? Um, <laughs> I, well, no, all cards on the table. I'm, uh, I was a military wife for a long time. And my traveling companion and research companion was also a military wife. And we were staying at Fort Town Gap, mm-hmm. speaking of hometown roots. Mm-hmm. And we had gone to the historical society and we pulled up all the articles and we paid the fee to have them printed out. Not complaining, but just, you know, we're putting some money in here. We're, we're right. staying there at our cost. We're, we're doing whatever. And we went back to this little... Um, cabin type scenario and we're reading and my friend was a nurse is a nurse and she said oh my god it was rectal and I said what do you mean it was rectal Peggy Reber had been beaten um strangled and assaulted with a five-foot archer's bow oh my yeah it was it was pretty nasty crime but as my friend is sitting here and I'm, I'm looking at her and, and she's having a Diet Coke and I'm having a cup of tea. And I said, what do you mean rectal? And she said, look, the newspaper reporter at the time, his name was Shellhammer. He did an amazing job of reporting on this case, given the restrictions of polite conversation in 1968. Mm-hmm. And there was one sentence, and I probably know it better than scripture, shame on me. And it was, the time of death could not be accurately determined because the orifice commonly used to determine the body temperature was the focal point of the assault. Yeah. And that's a, lot of, that's a lot of jargon. I'm going to translate that for you. Orifice is a word that means body opening. Mm -hmm. Like you have seven natural body openings, your ears, your nostrils, your mouth, and you can figure out the rest. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the orifice commonly used to determine body temperature in a corpse would be your rectum. Mm -hmm. And that was the focal point of the assault for that one sentence in a newspaper article. Now, at the time, people were so emotionally consumed with the thought of a 14-year-old being killed that many, many, not that they weren't capable of understanding that, they just skipped over it. Mm-hmm. And they assumed that she had been vaginally assaulted. Right. Oh, yeah. No, she had been rectally assaulted. Mm. I'm sorry if that was more than you bargained for, but... It was more than Peggy bargained for. Too, I was just so. going to say, it's all part of the case. It's all part of how she died. I, I mean, it, it should be known and it should be uh, told as well. So uh, just to give a little background about uh, Peggy and her family. And I guess, um, you know, she didn't come from the, the best of families in the world, I guess you can say. 
Uh, I know Peggy's uh, mom, uh, she was known to be or rumored to be a prostitute. May uh, I stop you? Yes. Yeah, go right ahead. Those rumors are wonderful. I've been rumored to be a great NASCAR driver. <laughs> Have you ever I seen me win I a race? You. Exactly. <laughs> However, here's, here's the problem with rumors. Until you see me in the NASCAR winning circle, uh-huh. I am not a NASCAR winning race driver. And the last time I checked, and I do check frequently, her mother had never once been charged with prostitution. And, and I guess... Why would somebody even throw that out there just to glorify the story or to, or to maybe uh, turn her into no, the bad person the during the uh, trial? Let's go back to the time. It yeah. was 1968. Uh-huh. She did come with baggage. We're not going mm-hmm. to dismiss that. She had married Herman Reaver. Mm-hmm. She was pregnant. They were not his biological children. And I say they, because she was pregnant with twins. Right. And that in its day made you scandalous. And I'm telling you, my own mother birthed a child outside of wedlock. And there are still people, my mother's been dead 25 years. (laughs) So so we're looking at, we're looking at 1954 would have been sometime around the time she was born. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. Know, so yeah. So yeah, that's a totally different time frame. Absolutely. So, yeah. So th- th- that wasn't ideal. It wasn't a happily married couple. And then she found herself, and by that I mean her mother, Mary Alice Reber, sure. uh, found herself divorced in 1967. And divorcees in the 60s, oh my goodness. <laughs> if you were a divorced man, you could still go on and work and live your life. But if you were a divorced woman and, and I once talked with her and I'm one of the few people that had the benefit of talking with Peggy's mother. Hmm. Okay. Ah, think about that for a minute. Um, <laughs> she was friendly. She was a friendly woman sure. and never confused those of us. And it's now acceptable in the year, you know, as we live now, <laughs> I can like sex now today because I am a woman living right. in 2021. But women were not always allowed to like sex. It was mm-hmm. a duty, a chore, or an occupation. Yeah. So I think that, and, and she or a means of having sex. children. Right. That's correct. Right. But I think that she was guilty more of being a party girl more than. Um, a solicited professional. Okay, sure. got you. And I could actually explain the solicitation part, but keep going and I'll share. No, that's fine. Uh, I'm glad. I, I definitely like to, um, yeah, I mean, it's only fair that, you know, she gets her due justice. And, you know, obviously I'll probably throw some more things out as, uh, because as I learned them in, uh, but, but also I guess Peggy's sister, uh, who happened to be a twin sister, Catherine, she got married at the age of 14. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So, you know, so there was kind of a, like an interesting dynamic going on in that house, whether you, you know, it was unorthodox. Yeah, definitely unorthodox. And, uh, and, and I understand that it was, uh, you know, Peggy's mom that found Peggy in the house 
and it was after coming home uh, from um, the casinos in New Jersey. No, you didn't have casinos back then. Okay, so casinos in New Jersey only come around early seventies. Okay, but but in in um, Atlantic City, you're correct. Yeah, but you are correct. Okay, she was alleged. Okay. Okay, so she came. She came home from Atlantic City. And uh, it was around, I guess, early in the morning, uh, one, two or three in the morning is when she found her daughter's body. Yeah, let me clear up part of that. Um, This Atlantic City thing is something that's coming from scandalous articles that have been written about Peggy's case. Mm -hmm. Um, What we knew at the time per the LDN and per her own mother is that she went to New Jersey. Atlantic City was never mentioned by mom or the Lebanon Daily News. It's just kind of come into creation these last 15, 20 years. Okay. I'm just wondering if they wanted to try to tie Atlantic City in there to try to tie in the prostitution as well. No, Atlantic City was not the hub that you know it to be. Only because in 1968, it was just a beach location. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, okay. What, act- what actually happened, there was a convention of um, local businessmen that happens annually. Lebanon businessmen go to Atlantic mm-hmm. City every September. And uh, I, I foolishly had shared with some others that the Lebanon Daily News reported Peggy's mom was working a migrant camp, working as in a working girl. We have nothing to confirm that. Mm-hmm. We have no charges of prostitution. So I really don't like charging her with prostitution Absolutely. Without, without due process. Yeah, and that she makes did sense. Go, she did go to New Jersey and never, ever in anything legitimately written is the location of Atlantic City mentioned. Huh. I got a little insight on there that perhaps she had gone in September of 1967 to entertain or enjoy the company of some businessmen from Lebanon. But we still don't know the exact location of where she was beyond New Jersey that weekend in May of 1968. Gotcha. So I really don't I just throw this out here. I really don't like when the world throws Mary Alice Reaver under the bus because Mary Alice Reaver did not kill her child. And no, I know, but and you know how you know how the court system likes to start. Yes, yeah, yes, they, they victimize. You know, I have experienced and, it. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you have. And uh, I, I'm just kind of sharing here that. At the time, and, and much of what you're going to look back on is the, the tossing Mary Alice under the bus mm-hmm. while we're losing focus from who picked up that bow. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right, right. I, I guess I guess I wonder if the reason they're trying to paint her character so bad is if they're trying to figure out a way, a, a way or a reason that she might have wronged somebody and therefore they're going to get back at her by killing her daughter. That type it's of deflection. Thing. Yeah, it's deflection. deflection. And many... In many ways, one of the things that they had suggested at the time that it was um, Peggy had been misidentified 
Well, there is no confusing identities with a 35-year-old woman who has birthed twins and and more that are not her only children and a 14-year-old girl. Right. That's bizarre. Absolutely. Well, Michelle, let me ask you this question then. What do you think? Do you think it was a crime of opportunity or a plan in regards to uh, Peggy's murder? I don't, it's not a crime of opportunity. Unless we're going to say the suspect made an opportunity and I I could explain to you how that was done. Sure. Um, Was it deliberate? Was it pre-planned? No, he definitely pre-planned having her alone and vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Do I think that he intended to kill her? No. I don't think first degree murder would ever fit here because first degree murder, the definition is premeditated. Correct. I think the gentleman really wanted her attention um, desperately. Mm -hmm. And I think she rebuked him. I I, I don't think she wanted any parts of him. And if you have ever encountered a 14 year old girl, they're fickle. Goodness Mm -hmm. knows I was, and my 14 year old daughter was as well. I like like Robbie today and I might like Bobby tomorrow and (laughs) knows what we got on the table next week. Right. But unfortunately this held um, higher stakes. There were bigger things in in hand because of the mother's lifestyle. These girls were not enjoying leave it to beaver environment. You know, it, it wasn't, everything is wonderful and mom's putting dinner on the table at five and father knows best for saying our prayers so i think that peggy does become a victim of circumstance Mm -hmm. and there's one fruit loop and and that's me keeping it clean yeah and you Uh, and you uh, mentioned he um i was just gonna say that i was just gonna say do you believe it's only one person because when you when yes. you hear the details of that crime, you would almost oh. think that there had to be an accomplice in there as well. But I guess many, I like- many, many will argue that a couple problems here with that one space alone didn't allow for two killers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very, very confined space. And I will share that because I've had the benefit of seeing the crime scene photos, the autopsy photos. There's an element of awareness here. Um the logic that two people did this one space alone did not allow that two it's very very rare even given today's date to find two individuals that will agree and succumb to the violence that Peggy endured yeah good point and the thing I was going to say when you brought up heat is is there any evidence for sure that it is a heat? Well, that was one of my first questions. And it's funny you should say that because I stood back and I had watched a movie, popular movie back in the early 90s. Um, we won't get into names because we're not going to get into Hollywood rights and all that crap. <laughs> but it was, it was um, we're all indicators are male and then voila. It's a woman. Right. Couple couple factors in play 
One is the strength involved. Please think about what I'm saying to you when it's a rectal assault. Peggy took 16 thrusts of a recurved archer's bow. Now, recurved does not mean curved. It actually means straight. Right, right. Well, many people, we just hear the word curve and we think there's that big curve like we always picture. But a recurved bow is, is straight in nature. And she took 16 thrusts in her rectum. Mm. Every internal organ was injured. She had five piercings in her heart alone. And that's, that's now a picture, a five foot two teenage girl. And, and that, that, that's a lot of power and a lot of strength. Mm-hmm. Am I going to tell you that a woman cannot do that? Hell no, I'm not. I've, I've seen some women do some amazing things. But just the amount of force alone. That's a powerful person that did that. Yeah, and I, w- and I would say so. And also I was going to add in, does it seem like the assault was probably sexually motivated too? No. 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 Sounds no, like controlling it, motivated. It, it's, it's control, it's anger, it's power, it's domination. And one of the things that I that caught my attention when I did my research with the newspaper was this is a sexual pervert. This is not a sexual crime. And don't you ever think it's a sexual crime. Mm-hmm. It is a, a crime of power, control. In fact, if anything, this killer is not only sexually motivated, but he probably has some challenges sexually. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to tell you that he's impotent because that would not be fair. I've not encountered the individual but no when you attack the rectum one you take off the sexual factor off the table now you're taking a lot of twisted twisted motivations she had been beaten i need to share a little bit here she took a hit to her face that allowed swelling to take place on her eye it looked like a softball had been placed in her eye socket. Yeah. Mm. That's a hell of a hit. Mm-hmm. She had then been strangled from behind. And many wonder why she didn't cry out for help. Because the strangulation cut her windpipe. It, it, it cut through her voice box. Oh, my gosh. So after that was done, he then bends her over and picks up the bow. I will share with you. The bow was not his first weapon of choice. Mm-hmm. He had done other things to her. And this is the first time you got an exclusive here that I'll share this. Uh, some of the things that he rammed into her rectum was a tube of lipstick, roll-on deodorant, the handle of a mop, a dust mop, and then he picked up the bow. So he and many things. probably just looking around the room to find yeah. anything yes. he could yes. find yes. just to stick yes. into her. Yes. And yes. Um, yeah, and that is rage. That yeah, is that, rage. that's rage. And that's in his mind. I'm, and I'm trying to like, you know, I used to be an investigator myself and uh, and I'm and I'm trying to think like what the criminal himself was thinking. And I'm thinking that he's trying to get paybacks for something. He's trying yeah. to, you know, whether she yeah. turned him down 
or you know or something along those lines happened you Um, are 100 correct i actually had the case profiled by um a law enforcement unit in south carolina Mm -hmm. um of course they didn't have the benefit of pictures they had my description so that's pretty soft we're not gonna hold and that's why we're just gonna leave it as generic law enforcement right right Mm -hmm. and the one thing that they kept coming back with this was a crime of revenge yes this was a crime of anger and and i kept saying no no what could a 14 year old do Mm. to warrant and yet years later as i yes he was Mm -hmm. vengeful he was angry he was pissed yeah so that that brings me back to the point that i kind of asked a, a few minutes ago is are we sure that it was a revenge on her and not on the mother somehow? Well, I will say this, that you should broaden your thinking that maybe it expands beyond the mother. Okay. We're looking at Peggy and we're looking at her mother and we're going, oh my gosh, we have this loose, crazy mom Mm-hmm. And then we have this victim, but we have a twin in play too. Absolutely. Right. Good point. Good point. Yeah, we have the twin so in play. And uh, I mean, well, I guess obviously she got married at a an extremely young age, meaning Catherine. Uh, was was her what was her marriage like? It was, was she married hard. before the crime? Yes. Okay. She got married on February 21st, 1968. So literally the same year. She was months before. She was, four, she was 14 years old and she was six months pregnant. Mm. Mm. Hold it. <laughs> Are you ready? Go for mm-hmm. it. I, Howie, I can tell I'm working your nerves, but just bear with me. <laughs> bear, bear with me. No, this me. is good. This is uh, This is interesting to me. So go for it. Pennsylvania passed its first laws regarding doctors reporting sexual assaults of children to law enforcement in August of 1967. Wow. Huh. Peggy Reber was one of the first cases reported. Isn't that ironic? Six months prior to February. And six (laughs) months later, you have a pregnant twin. And three months later, you have a dead twin. Yes. Yeah. So, and how much? We might have, yeah, go ahead, Troy. We, we might have skipped over this, but are they identical twins? Of course they are. Okay. Just want to make sure. And I, I share, of course, because what one needs to understand identical twins have identical DNA. The only Correct. thing that defines identical twins as individuals is fingerprints Mm -hmm. how much investigating did the investigators do in regards to talking with the twin and about her potential concerns or troubles possibly with other guys well i don't know but she attempted suicide within 24 hours of her sister's death Mm -hmm. and most suicides in Lebanon at that time, and they still hold the same, right. if you have a suicide attempt, they are either taken to Philhaven hmm. 
or then we had Warnersville. Right. She was not, she was not taken to either location. Her stomach was pumped and she was returned to her then husband and his mother, um, which is, I like the word bizarre. We're always is, gonna... it, is it fair to ask what his age was? 21. Hmm. Huh. Wow. Now you, and, you... Wouldn't, and wouldn't the mother, Peggy, uh, Mary Alice at this point, wouldn't she have to agree to her getting married? Well, she did. Actually, she encouraged it. When hmm. she found her daughter was pregnant, Okay. She, she stood up and said, you're going to marry her because him. there was a lot of oh, shame she you. already knew that there was a lot of shame of being a pregnant teen back then mm-hmm. now, I'm, sorry, I'm kind of surprised that she, i'm kind of surprised she would push that being that she had just went through something similar herself where she got married it didn't I work think, out and she was a little overwhelmed i think that yeah. being divorced and being blackballed and that's actually what, what was happening in lebanon and it did happen to divorcees whether we want to admit or not if you're a divorced mm-hmm. woman oh my goodness you're scandalous mm-hmm. um she was trying to save her daughter and and i do want to throw out here just for the sake of craps and giggles that this gentleman went on to marry her twin her twin daughter and he fathered not only her grandchild that was born on may 2nd 1968 but he had a pregnant girlfriend at the same time. And that child was born January 1st of 1968. So this man had been planting seeds. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. I mean, it's, it's kind of a weird rabbit hole to go down, but I mean, think about it, this guy, you know, planting seeds, he obviously didn't really care too much about a stable relationship that's correct. Uh, you know, he could have seen Peggy as another opportunity. And, I you know, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of things that could have gone well, that way. Well, if we want to discuss a little bit of history, though, he has gone on after the murder and junk. He went on to marry the first baby mama, using today's verbiage. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they've so after, been together, so him, they've been together a thousand years. Okay. Him and Catherine got divorced and then he remarried the first lady again. Well, he didn't remarry her. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. Got he back got with this, this matters. This, right. matters. This, this will come back later. This matters. He never married the woman that gave birth to his child on January 1st, 1968. She was a single mom. Mm-hmm facing the same scandal as any other single mom in 1968 mm-hmm. and Peggy's 14-year-old twin gave birth May 2nd, 1968. So it does matter that they're not married and I'll tell you why later. Go ahead. Now, when uh, Catherine attempted suicide, you know, within a month of her sister. 24 hours. Yeah, within, oh, within 24 hours, excuse me. 24 hours. Within 24 hours of her sister's death, right. uh, has she ever come out and talked about that that attempt and why she did do what she did? Catherine keeps a really low profile. She's mm-hmm. stepped up occasionally. Um, one must always keep in mind 
Catherine was 14. Right. Mm-hmm. She was 14 and pregnant. She was 14 and married. She was 14 and her sister was murdered. And I don't kick Bambi. I don't always like Bambi, by the way. I don't always like Bambi, but I will never kick Bambi. Right. Yeah, she's going a lot herself, obviously. Let's not let's not forget the fact here, too, just to throw it out there. We know a lot more about postpartum depression now, too, than we knew back then. Being a brand new mom, um, I'm sure that probably played a lot of stress on her, too. So possibly. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of possibilities with that. Um, but also we want to talk about suicide within that month. I guess there were uh, two potential um, either witnesses or, or um, people potentially knowing or involved. I don't know. I don't know what their, their names have anything to do suicide. with it. Yeah. That, that had died by suicide. Uh, Marlon Jones and uh, Morris uh, Purcell. Um, That's correct both died by suicide one month following this murder and they were potentially uh, cleared yeah they were cleared but then it makes you wonder why did they both kill themselves if they were cleared you know there were there's something they had to know or maybe someone else thought they knew something about the murder that they didn't want to get out i don't know purcell was a va patient that that suffered from some true mental challenges. Yeah. More than likely an undiagnosed schizophrenic. Or post-traumatic stress too, I'm sure. Take your pick. Take your pick. The man, the man had some major challenges. He had also um, broken out of the county jail, (laughs) stolen a car and was found naked on Cornwall road. (laughs) as he was apprehended okay so you know at the point that you're still in a car and you're naked you might either be a real thrill seeker or (laughs) was was he was he in prison for was he arrested for peggy's yes he was arrested for petty theft for petty theft but he broke out and and that's as i just said when they apprehended him he had stolen he broke out he stole a car and and he was apprehended on formal road and he was naked at the time they apprehended him. Uh-huh. And I'm not laughing at him. I, please know that. Um, but he was taken back to the prison and he was on suicide watch. And that kind of is a little concerning to me because he was on suicide watch and managed to take his life in the county jail. Yeah. They didn't do a very good job of watching him. And my joke is always, he's lucky he's not my kin because I'd have my lawyer on speed dial. Mm-hmm. But our county jail leaves a lot to be desired. Well, what about and the I federal prison our, with Jeffrey Epstein, you know? Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, no. But if you're going back 50 years ago, how hard is it to watch an individual Um like what else did these guys have to do? They had their three right. individuals themselves or four or five it slept in PA prime rate limited. I, I guess the, the only reason I half joked about that though is the fact that is it possible he did know something or he was tied in or he knew somebody that no. did something no. and no. somebody did something to him so that he wouldn't no. speak. No? no. Okay. I'm just throwing no. that out there. He was honestly a challenged individual that served in the military. And 
his actions were less than honorable in terms of theft and all that other crap. Right. But they had zero to do with Peggy Reaper. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets thrown in as a distraction. Marlon sure. Jones was an insurance salesman at the time. In the police report, you'll find this really detailed where he says he saw a suspect that night. He was crossing a street and, and he sees it so well that he sees blood splatter on their socks. Hmm. Well, when's the last time you were crossing a street and you noticed somebody's socks? Because I'm a pretty, I keep my eye on everybody. I don't trust anybody. Yeah. Um, Marlon Jones was going through marital issues and, and having some challenges. And he had actually, he was my aunt's insurance salesman. He had oh, stopped wow. by the house. Yeah, he had stopped by the house and he said to her, oh, the horrible things that were done to that girl. Now, I got nothing to base this on, but did he show up there and see what had been done to her? Right. Because one of the things that's interesting to me is the news reports that Peggy's apartment, Peggy's mother's apartment, was such a busy busy place mm-hmm. people were coming and going all the time yet this young girl was killed and by the time she was found rigor mortis had set in mm. well that didn't happen in two hours no so you're gonna tell me that she lay there how long and nobody had been by this party shack come on mm. come on <laughs> I, I i don't know about all that but I will tell you, the second suicide, the first one took place in the county jail. And the second one, the man was out at Fort Town Gap. MP showed up. And as they approached the car, he blew his brains out in the car. Yeah. So there's nothing questionable about either suicide. They were both committed. And I think we just encountered two challenged people in the mix of this very, very sad situation. So in you... I was just going to say, you you mentioned um, that they threw these folks in here almost as if somebody somebody in the legal system. Yeah, somebody. Did we do that again? Oh, my goodness. Say it ain't so, Joe. Say it ain't so. (laughs) That's my favorite quote from the movie The Green Beret, by the way. Oh, really? Um, But but you but and I'm guessing and I'm just trying to figure out where your your mindset is in regards to. Um, what your thoughts are in regards to who did what and and I don't know maybe it's just my my criminal justice mind going into a weird direction but I'm wondering if uh, you're thinking that somebody within the system itself had any part in this damn freaking damn we hit a bingo (laughs) (laughs) Um, and and who would that person be in your mind well, I can't, you know, say anything definitively because this is an unsolved crime. But and what position, start... what position would this person hold in your mind back in the day? Well, I'm, I'm not going to hold back. Come on. How <laughs> Let's just start at the beginning. Sure. The judge, the judge, after an individual was charged, and that would be Arthur Root Jr. Yes. He kept his thumb on this case nice and tight. Mm-hmm. Nice and tight. This should have been a case that should have had a change in venue. 
it, it should, should have actually been moved out of Lebanon County because it had so much publicity and it was sure. so extreme. And good old Judge G. Thomas Gates wasn't going to let this case go anywhere. <laughs> G. Thomas kept his thumb on it. He was not going to allow anything right. to interfere with his control on that case. And that's just interesting to me. Yeah. You know, given given the fact that he was highly, if ever Lebanon had a patriarch, it was G. Thomas Gates. Mm -hmm. Now, rest his soul. He's been gone a minute or two or five. <laughs> and the Bluebird Inn, the Bluebird Inn misses his patronage greatly. <laughs> <laughs> We, yeah, we laugh. People, if you're listening, we're looking for sponsors. So, well, and, and then the Bluebird Inn is a delightful place to go, and and the judge knew that, and he frequented it quite often. Um, but, but yes, local. I once talked to the lead detective on this case, as I pointed out things I had discovered along my cynical path sure and his response was and i respect him highly and greatly and he said you might be right michelle there might be gremlins in the background mm -hmm. and this was before being a nascar driver right that's correct okay <laughs> so i just you just brought up the lead detective and that brought something to mind and i might have my cases mixed up so please correct me if i'm wrong but when this case got reopened, right. wasn't there a local detective that was looking into this and all of a sudden... You would mean Detective Kevin Snavely. That's the one. That's the one. That, that was until he got fired, right? I was going to say, he was a police officer for the city uh, when he, he got fired. Yeah. He was a detective when he opened this case and he approached former District Attorney Dave Arnold, and God knows we all love him since he died, I'm sorry, I was not one of those people. I respect their loss of life, much respect, but I know the life he lived. Mm -hmm. um, and Kevin Snavely, then a detective, approached Dave Arnold about taking on this case. And that's actually how I become involved. Oh. Because Dave Arnold steps up and says, I would love to handle this case. And Snavely, having done a little bit of homework, not enough, but some, lays it on his desk. And Snavely was kind of a little brat and wasn't pleased with the lack of rapid response. You know, he was a cop and he had figured out an old case and you should deal with this now. That didn't go down that way. Right. Mm -hmm. And well, you know, be patient, my goodness. And if we look back now, Arnold only became the DA in January, 2006. Mm -hmm. So cut him a break. He's just catching his breath. I didn't cut him a break, by the way, but <laughs> I didn't. Um, but Detective Snavely eventually got frustrated and opted to step back from being a detective and went back to officer detective, officer Snavely, mm -hmm. forgive me. 
mm-hmm. because he, you know, if you're not going to investigate my cases, then I'm just going to step back. Okay, well, that didn't help the cause. Throwing yeah. a hissy fit is not going to get you where you need to go. <laughs> but that's what happened. Then I did something really unforgivable and I filed a formal complaint with the Pennsylvania State Bar Association against Dave Arnold for his handling of the Reaver case. And they got mad at me. Oh my goodness. And by they, I mean the local leaders. (laughs) And suddenly, Officer Snavely was fired. Hmm. Not going to say one has anything to do with the other, but the union arbitrator did indeed come back and say Officer Snavely was reinstated, not for his actions, but controversy surrounding the Reaver investigation. So right. you take that what it's worth. Right, right. Yeah, that does seem like a bit of a coincidence, right? Well, I made people angry and they didn't know how to get. Remember, I'm 500 miles away. <laughs> it's hard to believe that you make people angry. Oh, you just seem like you're very. Would you uh, like to meet my ex? <laughs> <laughs> yes, actually, I think I would. <laughs> you, would be, you would be quite surprised. My uh, ex-husband's a pretty nice guy, and we get along pretty well. Oh, great! That's great. Um, yeah. So obviously, uh, I so, yeah I, yeah it makes get, you wonder. Well, let's get back to where this kind of conversation all started with these detectives and the judges. And we kind of cut you off when we went down this other rabbit hole about the detectives and stuff like that. Why was Judge Gates, why would he have his thumb on this case and not let it go? And does he, is he the one that actually has the authority to not let it go? Could somebody come in and override him and say, no, he didn't know. Okay. No, it's go back. It's 1968. Um, I think you had two judges back then. There's a book you might want to look at just when you're bored. It's called Nine Men on the Bench. Mm-hmm. And the nine men, the book is actually written by the author of The Blue Eight Six. Interesting. Um, yeah, you might want to look into it. Which but, one? Because <laughs> there's a couple I, Blue Eight Six books. In the Carmines. Uh, okay, got you. Um, and the book is not. 100 percent accurate so don't use it as the gospel just kind of as a guideline right especially in the world of peggy but nine men on the bench is nine men meaning nine judges on the bench in lebanon county over 100 years and i really don't support this where it comes to peggy because what author is doing is taking articles from lebanon daily news and, and kind of transcribing them into a book She's not using it to be a point of reference. It's just interest. And the book will tell you that Peggy was in a green dress. Peggy was not in a green dress when she was found. She was in an orange dress. Um, But the book holds some weight in just the history, just a general, if you want an idea of judges and what was going on, oh, read it just for craps and giggles. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, it sounds, it sounds interesting. And, uh, it's just one of those stories where you wonder that if whoever did it is still alive today. And if that person is still alive today, 
all day long. Yeah. And do you, you know, I wonder if they're like on their deathbed, if they will ever admit. Never. You know, exactly. And, and it's just a shame because, um, and you also wonder too, if there's anybody else who knows about this story in regards to the facts. And I think there are, because it sounds like there was a little bit of cover up going on, uh, especially in the judicial <laughs> system, I think. And, you know, this is just my mind, you know. Something tells me she thinks that too. Yeah, something tells me, yeah. And, uh, but the thing is, if, if all these people know, and, and you have to believe that more than one or two people extra know that you would think somewhere along the line, somebody is going to let it slip to the wrong person like yourself, Michelle. And you're going to be that person that's going to go out and be like, I cannot believe what I just found, you know? And, uh, and I'm wondering like, how has it gone 50 years and we still don't have that answer? Sure. In 2008, I testified before a grand jury for uh-huh. five hours. In 2008, yeah, I testified before a grand jury for five hours. Now, first of all, you having some law enforcement background, mm-hmm. you should understand I should have never been called as a witness. No, no. Thanks. I'm glad you get it. <laughs> Okay. I didn't know the victim. I have no professional skills, blah, 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 blah. But I was illegally subpoenaed, drove to Pennsylvania on my own time, my own dime, took my child with me when I did it. And I testified before a grand jury for five hours. I testified longer than the suspect in the grand jury, than the lead detective, than a detective county detective involved with the crime scene autopsy whatever and one of those other individuals that testified testified to seeing the number one suspect knock on peggy's door that night and peggy opened it and it got squashed like a bug and that was uh, mr root no no who was, he the... was the he was the man charged with the crime Right. Arthur right. Root Jr. was charged with the crime. And so what, what connection did he have? What, how did he, his name even get brought up into all this? He had been dating Peggy's mom. Okay. Oh. He was a married man. He was from Lebanon. Um, came back after a few years on the lam with a wife and two daughters. He lived down near um, Ethan Skull. Mm-hmm. He was killed right there at 8th and Maple. Mm-hmm. The actual address was 770 Maple Street. The building's gone now. It's just a, a parking lot. Right. But back then, there was the building that she lived in, Maple Leaf Apartments. And across the street was Wensler's beer distributor. And there was a laundromat. I mean, it, it was a busy corner. Mm-hmm. Um, but Art Root Jr. was charged. And many, many will argue there was evidence, there was this, there was that. Well, that's kind of funny. And this is where it gets a little little bit deeper. Um, The forensics in this case were amazing. Well, (laughs) current law enforcement and I have kind of looked at each other and we've had to wonder if law enforcement back then didn't manage to put 
evidence in the same bag, meaning mm -hmm. evidence from the victim and the suspect in the same bag. Oh right. my gosh. Well, they didn't know any of that. Sure. Lebanon, Lebanon wasn't prepared for that. I mean, that right. those police officers were not trained to deal with a crime of that magnitude. And the number one expert, forensic expert, was a man named Paul Stombaugh. Please Google him. Um, <laughs> Paul Stombaugh was an FBI forensic expert. He handled investigations from John F. Kennedy right up to the Jeffrey McDonald murders. And if you're familiar with the Jeffrey McDonald murders at all, so much of that was based on forensic evidence. Mm -hmm. But the evidence was not handled correctly. And if you doubt me, Howie, work <laughs> with me here as a member of law enforcement. Let me tell you how this goes down. On the coffee table in the apartment where Peggy was found murdered, there was a quart of beer because that's the way people drank beer back then. We'd go to the mm -hmm. local, sure. we'd, get a, we'd get a quart of beer. So they take a quart of beer and evidence. It had 11 solid fingerprints on them. Hmm. Every one of them matched the lead detective. Wow. Ah. So what would that make you think, right? They didn't have the first clue. Yeah, they didn't have a clue on how to Crime preserve. photos were taken by a photographer from the Lebanon Daily News that were not true. Like today we see Dateline and we see true right. crime scene photos. Back sure. then, there is no depth. There is no, mm -hmm. there isn't. It's just not there. Yeah, and, and, and this we're not going to call them. They were just overwhelmed. It was a crime before its time. I'm going to oh, and, and not only before its time, but if there was some inside job going on, they probably fought harder than other crime scene cases to tamper it uh, to make sure that <laughs> certain suspects wouldn't come forward. As I think, it, I think that's a possibility. You know, and I and I and I just think that. Um, because they even have, I believe they had up to 12 uh, potential suspects. 68. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> oh my. Well, see, there you go. Even more so. When you have that many potential suspects, you're, you're trying to muddy the water. You know, when you start throwing that, that number out there. But that's fearful because that's your law enforcement background adopting <laughs> that. Because your yes. law enforcement mentality is telling you, there's no way in hell there's actually 68. Right. You know, you got to break it down. So you're getting it. And, and I share this because when I talk about Peggy, I always have to tone it down a minute uh -huh. and say, well, wait a minute. Other folks don't understand that. Might be time for you to do that. Because as you're saying, 68, they're muddying. Now, if you got 68 and you start breaking it down into realistic terms, mm -hmm. 68 suddenly becomes six. Right. Because once you rule this out and rule that out and, and you toss it and you get reasonable. Well, one of the problems I had with reason, the Lebanon Daily News kept reporting at the time, mm -hmm. too many men had keys to the apartment. Remember the allegations yeah, of her yeah, mother? Yeah. Okay, too many men. And I finally decided to ask, well, just how many men had keys? And the more I looked back, 
it only appeared that there were six keys out there reported mm. by the Lebanon Daily News. And those six keys would be the mother, the two twin girls. Mm-hmm. So and there's then, half. <laughs> that's correct. And then the males that they were intimately involved with. So the one Art husband. Root Art Root Jr. Uh-huh. Correct. Art Root Jr. we know hanging out with mm-hmm. the mom. Richard Boyer Sr. is hanging out with the twin. And his right. brother, his brother Ray Boyer, is with Maggie. So we have six keys. Right. And I'm looking at this sitting here in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I got this crap all out over my living room floor. And my <laughs> husband's looking at me like I have three heads. And I said, this doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And he said, what's wrong, Michelle? And I said, the landlord had a key. Mm. So that's seven. Yeah. And the landlord was a lawyer. <laughs> mm. He was the first public defense attorney in Lebanon. His name was Walter Grave. And I'm, I'm like, why aren't we reporting him in 1968? And mm-hmm. then I go on to learn that he's a little freaky deaky. And he's got peepholes in the building looking mm. in on the people living at the Maple Leaf Apartments. And I'm like, why are we overlooking him? Why aren't we naming him as the key holder? And sure. when I bring that up to law enforcement today, they then want to add, well, he had a maintenance man too. Oh, so now we have. <laughs> now we have more than, yeah. So I, I just kind of sit back and throw my hands up and go, mm-hmm. but nobody's bothered to follow through with any of this. Yeah. Yeah. So what, where does that lead? We've gone down to a couple different suspects, a couple different rabbit holes, a couple different ideas. In the end, where does it lead you? What do you think? I think many things. And the first I'm going to start with, we should never, ever turn a blind eye to a 14-year-old in distress. Now, we can't save Peggy. Peggy's paid the ultimate sacrifice. But as we're sitting here, even 50 years later, we have to do everything we can to help children in distress. Mm-hmm. And I can align that to military suicides. we got 22 a day. We need to help that. I'm, I'm all about helping what we can today. I would like to reach back and make Peggy's life better. I can't. Sure. I'd like to give her justice. I can't. And I can pick my hometown judicial process apart all day long. That's not my goal. You know, the late Dave Arnold, God bless him. And I do mean that. Um, God bless him. <laughs> but I will, I, I will also say, and I do want this known, and, and it's up to you what you edit out here. If you were to look at my book, and I can prove it to you, I received a subpoena to appear before a grand jury that was investigating Peggy's murder. We subpoenaed Dave Arnold in January of 2008. 2,000 people signed that signature in three weeks time. Now that's pretty powerful in a a town with like the population that it has. So we got the grand jury and my subpoenas came through via email. Mm -hmm. Email, that is not legal. 
in order to subpoena me as a resident of North Carolina, Needs to be one handed. must go through, thank you, one must go through the governor of Pennsylvania on to the governor of North Carolina, and then I get served by a county sheriff in the county that I reside in, and that did not happen. But if you read the back of my book, if you read anything, and I provide a copy of the subpoena in my book, mm-hmm. they wanted my bank statements, my hard drives on my computer. Oh, they wanted like 25 ridiculous things. But what Dave Arnold's office did, courtesy of John Ditzler, and that would be your current magistrate, John Ditzler, they allowed those grand jurors to believe that I had been served officially and publicly and did not honor that, mm-hmm. which, by the way, is a felony in the state of Pennsylvania when you lie to a grand jury. And I got thrown under the bus. Just read the grand jury report. So much so that my mail lady knocked on the door, not my mail carrier, because she's a lady, <laughs> knocked on my door one day and she handed me this envelope. And I went, Oh, it's never good when we meet face to face. I kind of laughed about it. And I opened it up and there was the grand jury report. And it said, Ms. Gooden, by the way, my legal name is not Gooden. Mm-hmm. And that you're not going to put out there. Because <laughs> I shelter my legal name to shelter my children, sure. which work sure. in media, media and government. And it was Ms. Gooden. The grand jury does not like you and under Pennsylvania state statute, whatever, whatever. When a grand jury does not like a witness, they have the right for a rebuttal. And I just stood here and went, you've got to be flipping kidding me. And one of your bigger law firms in Lebanon stepped up and said, we got this pro bono. And there is an addendum, whether they filed it on public record or not, but it is my contest to, you don't like me? Those grand jurors still don't know that they were duped. And the duping part is what matters because Mm -hmm. it is a felony to lie to a grand jury. Well, then how in the hell could Magistrate John Ditzler and Dave Arnold, and by the way, Dave Arnold sat in the courtroom for that investigative grand jury back in December 2008. Mm -hmm. Part of what we were investigating was Dave Arnold. (laughs) <laughs> dave arnold was charged with domestic violence are you aware no no i'm not <clears throat> dave arnold was charged with domestic violence because he slapped his wife around i had a copy of the police report and i said dude you can never really prosecute this case <clears throat> you know after he was on the phone with me and being really nice I'd love to take this case to trial. I would love to give justice, blah, 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 whatever. <laughs> well, when I, when I was presented with this police report, I said, you did what? November 25th, 1991, John, or Dave Arnold was charged with domestic violence. Brad Charles was the DA. Dave Arnold was the assistant DA. Well, an assistant. I don't know if he was an assistant DA. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't say what's not true. Brad Charles. Well, here's what happened. November 25th was Dave Arnold's birthday. It was also Thanksgiving. His wife got up that morning, took her children, that would be Louisa, Arndt, 
Gibble, Arnold, whatever. She's got more names than I can count. <laughs> she went and had dinner and hung out with the family of Richard Boyer. Hmm. Richard Boyer Sr. is the number one suspect under the grand jury indictment. Yeah, I know. I see how you're shaking your head. <laughs> well, she comes home that night and Dave's upset. I don't blame him. He's young and mm-hmm. perhaps wild. It gets a little crazy. I'm not going to say what he did or didn't. I wasn't there, but the police were called. He was charged. So when I appeared before the grand jury, I did do a really bitchy thing. They subpoenaed my bankrupt. Look at the book, the book. They wanted my bank, my bank statements. 50 years after a crime, I was five when it happened. Happy break. Yeah. But but I'm sitting there testifying for the grand jury. And John Ditzler turns and says, Dave Arnold, by the way, was in the courtroom up until he should not have been if corruption conflict of interest and that grand jury was charged with three things the crime corruption and conflict Mm -hmm. dave arnold should not have been there dave arnold sat there i literally walked into the law library he's got his feet propped up and i'm sorry i just i'm sorry (laughs) i tell the truth so john disler turns as i'm on the stand and he says ms good you are insinuating that dave arnold did such and such with his first wife and i said no i think i provided you the police report for that. right and he said and how do you know that's what happened and i said because i have a statement from the hostess of that dinner mm-hmm. the menu who was present and how she meaning louisa went home and called for help mm-hmm. and ditzler turns on his heels and says why do I not have that in my position? And I just kind of laughed. It was a great moment between the two of us because Ditzler's a cocky little SOB. And it was a great moment. And I just turned and said, I'm sorry, sir. Did I forget to provide that? I'll definitely give you a copy. There you go. <laughs> and I had it. Yeah. So, so the bigger picture there being that we have 1968 cover-up, but in 2008... Dave Arnold could have never, and I don't want to kick at the dead, just because he died doesn't mean he's exempt from the way of life he lived. Right. No, he's not. Um, not at all. And I have to remind Russ Diamond of that all the time. <laughs> but you were charged with domestic violence. Why? Why? Because you had a lion scandalous wife. Mm-hmm. It happens. Have you ever been divorced? Troy, I hope you never ever encounter that. I think you have good. I work. hope so. Yeah, <laughs> you might be a little biased. <laughs> I am. I am by all means. But there, there's so much behind the scenes that I don't step up publicly, and mm-hmm. like I'm not going to out. I don't mind Matt Outman Arnold. Arnold step up for public office. I'll nail him all day long, yeah. and even though he's dead, I'll still nail him. I do find it ironic that he did not give a lot of credence to a 14-year-old girl, and sadly, his daughter is 14 as he's left this planet. Mm -hmm. So karma can sometimes be a bitch, and God forbid she pay for his sins. But 
there's a lot of weird crap in this case. Yeah. And yeah, it's. And that's kind of what I mean by muddying the waters. There's just so much that just happened that it, it just seems like no matter what, what road you turn on, there's somebody there to put up that roadblock and detour you in a different direction. And, and it's not by accident either. You know, it just seems like it's just too obvious to me that things let me, were. Let me, let me, and, and you're going to edit everything that we're discussing, right? Well, kind of, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> here's, here's your, here's your edit part, Howie. Well, don't, I'll tell you what, don't, don't tell me, uh, because, uh, yeah, yeah. Don't tell me until after that recording stops. How's that? <laughs> if you don't want it, if you don't want it played. No, I, I no, I have no problem. I have no problems no, with it either. I have, I, my name is Michelle Gooden and I stand by everything all night long. <laughs> <There you laughs> I put go. my name out there. I put the book out there and I will continue yes. to go yes. in my book. You will see a section devoted to a tip line that mm-hmm. I paid for my dime. Okay. And it wasn't cheap. It wasn't cheap back then, by the way, paid one fee for the 800 number. And I paid by the minute for everything yeah. and some pretty cool things, pretty cool things happened on that tip line. Um, like it hit the morning news in Lebanon on the front page of the paper. And I'm not prepared for it. Phone starts to ring at my home office. Mm-hmm. So I go in and answer it. And then I answered it and I answered it. And this just keeps going. Like to the point, my boyfriend walks in and says, are you going to have lunch? <laughs> oh, no, I'm okay. He walks in a few hours later. Are you going to have dinner? No, no, I'm okay. And it just kept going and going. Yeah. One of my favorite calls on that line was a woman that very, you can tell on the other end of the phone is a soft-spoken, obviously elderly woman. Mm-hmm. And she says, I remember seeing those pictures. And I said, what pictures? And she said, the crime scene photos. And I said, what are you talking about? Yeah. And she said, oh, I don't want to give my name. Now I have caller ID. so I can see her name. Yeah. Well, but I'm, I'm sharing that so you can see the difference in her age and understanding of technology. Sure, sure. And I, I just kind of smile, nod, and keep going. And she said, I worked in a beauty salon. I was a hairdresser. And I said, okay, because that's what they called them back in 1968. Uh-huh. You didn't have a hairstylist, you had a hairdresser. And she says, his wife came in and showed the pictures what whose wife came in and showed the pictures the landlord's wife attorney walter attorney walter graves wife francis grave took crime scene photos of peggy reber into the beauty parlor where she got her hair done Mm. to exploit peggy like it was just fun Mm. yeah oh Another fun call on the second floor of the apartment building where Peggy was killed. Peggy was killed on the third floor. I kept hearing about this man on the second floor. His name was Lloyd Haslam, rest his soul. Mm -hmm. And Lloyd entertained men. 
and women, but he entertained men. And it sounds and appears and kind of looks like he might have entertained a judge or two. Remember, mm. we only had two judges back then. Mm -hmm. and a lawyer or two or a district attorney or two or take your pick and a suspect or two now michelle when you say that it's kind of funny you said that because um originally when we were first talking about this and we talked about the person who did what they did with the objects that they did i was not thinking along the lines of impotence i was thinking along the lines of potentially gay right but that don't don't ever confuse gay with violence no 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 and i'm not okay. but i'm just thinking of the person who did what they did because once again we got to go back to 1968 um the lifestyle was not accepted at all um and in fact you were probably going to be uh demonized if you even so you would be angry you would be angry because you can't come out and you can't Correct. be yourself. Correct. And I'm with you. I'm, and, I'm with you. Uh, and if anybody in that but apartment it's not a gay building, man's crime. yeah, exactly. And, and I'm not saying it is, but anybody in that building that knew this about this guy um, could have been very, um, I don't know, um, picking. You know, especially when you think of a teenager, you know, uh, their, their filter isn't as filtered as other people's might be. And and I and I don't want to go down the lines of accusing, but, we, but when we'll you, when you look at all the suspects, when you look at all the suspects, you got to look at every suspect, including. Okay, but, but if we're doing that and I'm with you, one, we will never accuse because right. I stand very, very strongly that only a jury. Mm -hmm. or a prosecutor can accuse an arrest. Right. I've been accused through the grand jury report of identifying a killer. That's not true. If you look at public records, it was Officer Kevin Snavely who did it through a lawsuit. Sure. I have never stood up and publicly identified a suspect, a particular, but I will list a few because there were 68 as we've already figured out. Yeah. But, but here is one of my problems. Uh, if we're going to get down to the meat and potatoes. Was she pregnant? Right. Because we already have a pregnant twin that married in February of 1968. And we married have her. charges. Mm -hmm. We have charges in August of 67 for actually the correct words back then were ravishing a minor. Mm. Ravishing. Doesn't that sound so much better yeah. than molesting? <laughs> it sure does. Yeah, it is pretty. So we have that in check. In 1968, we have a dead teen. And I'm standing up going, was she pregnant? Like, is that what pissed somebody off or pushed them over the edge? Well, we don't know. Mm -hmm. Because in 1968, she was not tested for pregnancy. There were only two means to test for pregnancy. And the biggest was the rabbit test. Right. Uh, you take blood from a human, you put it in a standard rabbit, and they die. The other is just basic examination. Well, you have a young girl here who's living in a compromised environment. I think pregnancy should have been a really big concern. Mm -hmm. She was exhumed, courtesy of my big mouth, in 
Yeah, true story. I'm not really happy about that. But she was exhumed April 29th, 2007, 2008. Um, and there was no testing allowed. Her mm. body had been aged. Her right. corpse had been aged too much. But the grand jury report reports in bold letters. Peggy Reaver was not, not in capital letters pregnant. How do we know that? Right. How do we know that this is not as simple as this young girl was pregnant and the individual, there's your anger, there's your rage. This mm -hmm. individual could not marry her. Maybe he's already married or didn't want to marry her. Mm -hmm. Take your pick. Take any mm -hmm. scenario you want. Yeah. But for, but for whatever reason, he was very, very angry that day. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I saw her face and that was a hell of a hit. I always refer to it as a boxer's hit. Mm -hmm. Remember in Rocky when they had to slice his eye? Right. He had that eye. Yeah. And then yeah. she strangled from behind, throat cut, and then the rest is... And it's not all history because I just shared with you things that have never been said publicly before. Yeah. The world knows that she was assaulted with an archer's bow, right? But she was assaulted with other things as well. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I'll tell you what, Michelle, uh, this is a lot, a lot to digest. And uh, uh, yeah, my mind is going a mile a minute. Thank you. Thank you, by the way, because now I won't sleep for the night because that's going to be in my mind for the rest of the night. And hey, uh, <laughs> I want to I share something pretty with you. All right. Do that. Something pretty. Um, in my travels, uh -huh. we narrow it down to the number one suspect. And that wasn't me narrowing it down. That was the courts back, well, investigators back in 1968. Yes. They narrowed it down to the number one suspect. They did not arrest him. or Well, they arrested Art Root Jr. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They come back in 2008 and they say well the number one suspect and that's what the grand jury is left to look into and as this is unfolding and i'm keeping a blog online and i'm keeping public presence because i want awareness right mm -hmm. um i start getting messages from the number one suspect's family mm -hmm. and isn't that interesting mm -hmm. talk about that on another day but anyhow um, the grand jury does what it's supposed to do. And as I just told you, I wasn't subpoenaed legally, a bunch of junk and drama. It was a smoke and mirrors game to put the case to rest so that we never asked about the judges and the lawyers back then that were frequenting the second floor of that apartment building. Mm -hmm. Well, a few years ago, correction, let me step up. One of the things that was said to me during my efforts with this number one suspect, I realized he had been married before. Okay. No, he had been married before. The number one suspect at the time of the grand jury is Richard Boyer. That's named in the grand jury report. That's a fact. Mm -hmm. And he married Peggy's twin, February 21st, 1968. Maryland, blah, blah, blah. But what I found was he had been married before that. And conversations with his family unfold. 
and they say his wife primarily who would have been the girlfriend at the time of the mm -hmm. January 1st, 1968 birth. She said that Michelle Gooden, she's such a liar. She is such a liar. Mm. So the last three pages of my book are his divorce papers from his first marriage to prove that Michelle Gooden is not a liar. Yeah. He was indeed married before. And I wish them no harm. They've been married, you know, like 46, 47 years. And mm -hmm. left. But, but as you read those divorce papers and there's, it's Lebanon. We're, we're all covering family secrets here wherever. <laughs> I get contacted about four or five years ago on Facebook from a woman. And she says, hey, that's my mom meaning the very first wife. Mm -hmm. And I said, wow. And she said, yeah, you know, she had really crappy taste in them. My favorite flower is a lilac. And Peggy's favorite color is purple. Oh. That woman takes lilacs to Peggy's grave every year. Mm. My next book, the title will be Lilacs for Peggy. Oh, nice. Because when you bring together all these people, and there are many, many, we could talk for hours, but many, many people that have stepped up and said, I remember this, or I know that. Mm -hmm. And they are all things that are available to law enforcement. Um, a young girl stood present as the number one suspect was yelling at her grandmother, proclaiming, I rammed a bow up Peggy Reaver's ass and I'll do it to you too. Oh, oh my. Well, they didn't have her <laughs> testify before the grand jury. Yeah. And just for the record, um, Arthur Root Jr., who was the number one suspect because he was arrested, uh -huh. county detectives found him after I found He was listed as dead. Do you know that? I did not. Okay. I, I dealt with a Lebanon City detective. I, I make fun of him all the time. Um, <laughs> now since retired Mr. Hotshot. But I asked what happened to Art Root Jr. And he said, he died. And I said, where did he die? And he said, out West. It took me nine months before Google to find him alive and well. Well, I found him and I told that cop and he went back and kind of laughed about it to the department. Um, but if you were truly doing a grand jury investigation, wouldn't you bring the suspect <laughs> from the time to testify? Once now, again, yeah. He was incarcerated in Oklahoma and the warden from that prison emailed me <laughs> after being contacted by a county detective. And he said, Ms. Gooden, you know, they want to talk to my inmate. And I've Googled this and it looks like you're the authority. What's going on? I was just going to say, it sounds like you should have been on the, uh, you should have been sitting in the judge's place the way that. Well, <laughs> if you're going to put anybody on the stand during an investigative grand jury, it should be the individuals that were present and right. not the five-year-old kid. And right. I got off. I got off the stand and I did Laura LeBeau the next day. And I said, I assure all of you, I did not get on my tricycle. 
and ride across town and kill this girl. <laughs> Did not do it. No. But Art Root Jr. was located in a prison, and that would have come with expense because they would have had to have paid for the flight, the escort, and all that. Uh-huh. How seriously did they take that investigative grand jury? And the grand jury report will tell you that even with a confession and a corroborated eyewitness, they can't deliver justice. Yeah. Who says that? So if the killer stands up and says, I did it. it. My buddy watched me. Right. Tell me there's no cover up here, folks. Mm. Yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. You got and, more than new bargain for. I'm sorry. No, no, and that's why I won't be able to sleep, Michelle. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I guess maybe to sum this all up, I mean, it's just it, it's really sad that something like this has happened in such a small community like this. And at this point, we pretty much accept the fact that we're never going to know. We're never going to know what happened. No, but we can never let it happen again. That's a good point. That's a good point. I don't, I don't ever, ever stand up thinking I can write Peggy's wrong because we can take some 75, 80 year old man off the streets. It's comparable to Bill Cosby. Okay. You're 80. We're going to put you in jail. That's not going to fix all the crimes that have been done. No, but what we have to do twofold three one we can't let this happen as citizens we have to be aware and alert and report law enforcement has to be a little bit more due diligent um and i don't know and i'm going to be honest the the corruption here was not law enforcement though there were a few shady characters and that's another show but we've got to protect children today this can never ever happen again and we are our brother's keeper. The Bible mm-hmm. tells us that. And I'm not going to shove my faith down your throat. But <laughs> if Peggy's going to teach us anything, if that 14-year-old, that 12-year-old, that 10-year-old looks in distress, do something. I got a good lesson one day when I was doing the Radio Laura talk show. Mm-hmm. A teacher called in and she said, I am a retired teacher. She was being a little bitchy. I'm a retired teacher and I have been mandated. I have to report abuse. And I, I, I didn't know what to say. And I rarely speak out unless I know what I'm talking about. And I didn't know. So I, I remained silent. And what I learned after that was teachers were only required to speak out effective 1973. Uh Peggy was already dead five years. Uh So it wasn't going to save Peggy. Um, I shared with you earlier, August of 1967 is the first that doctors had to report sexual assault to law enforcement. So much of what we take for granted, and when Art Root was arrested, the Miranda rights were still questionable. We have all these things right now. We need to use them. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing that we really, really need to utilize is, am I my brother's keeper? I sure as hell hope so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I could have been Peggy Reaver. Yeah. I grew up poor. I grew up along the railroad tracks in, in West Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, I spent many, many, many days in Avon, 
Pennsylvania with, you know, some very dear loved ones who shall remain nameless. But, <laughs> but we weren't the rich girls. Yeah. We weren't the affluent family. We we were just small town Lebanon. Right. And this could have been any of us, if not for sure can, yeah. Really great parents. And even then, I will tell you, my parents would leave me at home and they'd go to the corner bar. Mm-hmm. There it was. And I was an only child. So totally different time frame. Yeah. Yes. yes. Parents would never, well, well. Most parents today would never do something like that. And that's why it's easy for us to look now and say, oh my gosh, she came from Atlantic City at three in the morning. She obviously was a bad parent. And that's, and we're not taking into account that time period and how much how of we- a, you know, a, you know, the communities weren't looked at like they are today. Like even today, um, if I were to let my child or children play outside, past dark i would be looked at as a bad parent because how dare i let my child out past dark time outside the house even if it's in my own backyard but obviously it's a different time you know if this were 1968 i could let my child go out past dark and go across town and that would be okay because that was just the way things were go out and play till the sunlight or street lights come on <laughs> that that's the way it was done yeah but but i really wanted before we do a goodbye. Sure. Mm-hmm. The Atlantic City thing. Here is what was reported in the Lebanon Daily News. And I, I will give them credence because Shell Lammer was a great reporter. Mm-hmm. She went to work a migrant camp. Mm-hmm. Now, we'll take that just word for word what it's worth. Was she working there to mop the floors? Was she working there to make biscuits and gravy? Right. We're just going to leave that at that. But never, ever is the word Atlantic City inducted into this. No. Until I talked to the Fruit Loops from <laughs> the Pasadena Weekly, and his name is Kevin Urich. Um, he is an editor in the Pasadena Weekly. By the way, his nephew is a cop in Lebanon, Keith Urich. <laughs> Interesting. And, and you're going to cut this part out. Because the night the number one suspect was interviewed by Officer Detective Kevin Snavely, Keith Urick was one of the few people certified to give polygraphs. The night that the first suspect was ready to talk, Keith Urick's response was, I'm tired, have him come back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And by morning, he lawyered up. So th- th- there's a lot of background here. Sure. But never ever was Atlantic City attached. I was talking to Kevin Urich and said the Masons the Masons mm-hmm. careful don't ever approach that <laughs> the Masons have Peter Alisea appreciates this right across from the Avon playground the Masons have an annual convention in Atlantic City and they invited Mary Alice. Okay. That's how that went down. Gotcha. And when I said that to the Fruit Loops from the Pasadena Weekly, they then turned it to she went from migrant camp for the LDN to she was at Atlantic City. No, she was not. Mm-hmm. She was sent. Oh, by the way, 
she more than likely was pimping and her pimp was Richard Boyer Sr. (laughs) So he got her out of town. Peggy's boyfriend was picked up on an outstanding warrant for delinquent child support. He was picked up by Constable William Kimmel. Mm -hmm. I find that very interesting because Ray Boyer was picked up on a Saturday morning. And of all the bench warrants that Constable Kimmel could have selected, he seriously selected a guy two weeks behind in child support. Mm-hmm. That left Peggy, that left Peggy alone. When you got mom out of the picture, and you got the boyfriend out of the picture, and then she ends up dead. Yeah, yeah, that definitely uh, that definitely leaves you scr- scratching your head on that one for sure. I mean, my gosh, there was an eleven-year-old child across the hall that watched Peggy open the door for Richard Boyer. It's mentioned in the grand jury report. And instead of that becoming a focus, you know, like here's this little girl Mm -hmm. looking through people, Ditzler, Arnold, whatever, did there, you know, well, you're confused. You don't, she was 11. Come on, cut me a break. And by the way, Cliff Rowland, do you know that name? I heard of that name. Cliff Rowland was a sheriff. He was very like law enforcement from hell with his Mason's ring on his hand throughout. In fact, one of the most popular pictures of Peggy's crime scene, he's down on his knees and the Mason ring is there and he's with the lead detective, which is Jim Smith. And Jim Smith is a very good man up in years. Be very kind Mm -hmm. with him. Um, But as I'm testifying before the grand jury, Cliff Rowland goes in and testifies for 20 minutes. Mm. He's like 90 years old. You were there for the crime scene and the autopsy and you only testify for 20 minutes. Tell me this isn't a joke. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I entertained you for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you did. And uh, thank you, Michelle, for uh, coming on board. So many questions really oh i know and uh, and your book again is called justice denied the unsolved murder of peggy reber is that correct and it's a, that's correct it's available on amazon yes and uh my gosh um i don't know i i kind of hope that you know that this continues to open a can of worms as time goes on because i don't think this should ever go away until or if it ever gets solved i mean i think it's just one of those crimes it's number one there's so much going on behind the scenes um that that has been covered up some some way somehow or not necessarily covered up but maybe even completely done wrong um here's the answer oh i i know the answer but (laughs) i i'm just i'm just doing it to be pq you know i i I respect (laughs) i respect you for that yeah here's here is my bitch-worthy answer. All right, let's hear it. As as long as we're silent, evil thrives. You are so right. That's and true. every every time we mention Peggy's name, the killer sits there and he cringes just a little bit. And he yeah. Says, is today today? Isn't that? Yeah, you're right. Find me. Is you're the right. public pissed off enough? And 
And if it doesn't just hit with Peggy, and I pray someday it will, mm -hmm. maybe another child benefits. And I also think, especially as we mention maybe that person's specific name, do they cringe a little bit? Like, oh, <laughs> you know. Well, I was um, once told that the number one suspect through the, the grand jury report mm -hmm. said to my cousin, my cousin of all people, if she named me in that book, I'm going to sue her. <laughs> and my response to that was, I bought my cousin a copy of the book and mailed it to her. And I said, <laughs> if, if he can read, here it is. That's too funny. No, oh I understand God. he's illiterate. Oh, okay. I also understand, by the way, his grandson's a deputy and his grandson-in-law is a state trooper. Interesting. Nothing like sitting down at the dinner table with uh, the law looking across. Yeah, right. Never knowing if that person is going to be arresting me or not, right? That's correct. Yeah. Wow. Well, Michelle, thank you again. And I, oh my gosh, uh, I appreciate you taking the time out to uh, have this chat with us. I hope you were uh, entertained. I know you weren't as entertained as we were because this is this is kind of new for us. So. Right. Um, I think you guys are great. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And let me um, know when it's gonna air and you know, <laughs> give me yeah, a because I try not we, to shame my children too much. Yeah, not no, a problem. We, we um always well, I shouldn't say always, we always try to drop it on a Sunday. Yeah. Say, so so uh this will be out sometime Sunday afternoon, this coming Sunday, which would be uh April twenty fifth, fourth, fifth. Twenty fifth. Oh. Yes. Okay. 25th. So <laughs> So this Be kind. I like my kids. Uh, <laughs> hey, you know what? Um, we'll, we'll be kind. Don't worry. Don't yeah, worry. I mean, you were, yeah. you were great. And uh, yeah, there's nothing, I don't have anything negative to say about you. And uh, in fact, I mean, geez, everything you said really kind of opened my eyes up to all different Howie, theories. As and, a and law so enforcement forth. officer, you should call <laughs> me off the side. There you and go. No, the things I could tell you. Yeah. Well, just an <laughs> FYI, um, I was never a law enforcement officer. I was a bounty hunter and uh and I also was an investigator, um, but not with law enforcement. I would still entertain you. <laughs> I know you would. It it sounds it's very been great. Yes, Let me know is. if I can help with anything else. All right, I will Appreciate do that. It. And uh thank you again, Michelle, and you have a great rest of the evening. You too. Thank Stay you. safe. Yep. Bye. You too. Bye. All right. And uh, well, that was our interview with Michelle Gooden. And uh, you can actually uh, find her book on Amazon. It's uh, called The um, Justice Denied, The Unsolved Murder of Peggy Reber. And uh, once again, you can find that book on Amazon. And she recommends getting the actual um book as opposed to the electronic version because there's some information in that book i guess that does not show well in the electronic version so right um, yeah because she said she actually had to make the book an actual like almost like an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper yeah so that none of the details and the, the pictures were changed so that you could actually read some of the stuff because let's face it in some of the old documents and stuff like that the, the writing wasn't always the greatest so uh yep. So, yeah, I think that's why she wanted to do it that way. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, though. I cannot imagine what's spinning in Michelle's head because when that interview was done, there was a lot of things spinning in my head as far as 
wow, you know what? This is an avenue that I didn't think about. And it's because I didn't know right. this, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of potential um, outcomes of this crime as far mm-hmm. as who did what and how and so forth. And uh, it's yeah. really sad that, that there's that many suspects too, you know? Mm-hmm. It is like, like how can, I don't know. It's just hard to fathom that anybody could do something like this at all. Right. And then, and then to think that you have whatever the number was, what'd she say? 68 at one point. <laughs> Either that or yeah. Something around that number. It was definitely yeah. uh, close, to, closer to a hundred than zero. I can tell you that. Right. Yeah. And it's like, how, how can you have that many suspects? Like there should be such an easier way to narrow this down. Like do you really think there's, 68 people that are connected to her that were capable of killing her yeah because and and also think about this too um she was brutally murdered in her own home yeah this isn't something like uh and i know some of the folks are um listening to this aren't gonna know this but we had an amish woman who was abducted and Uh and beaten and strangled and and killed and left to lay basically i believe he buried her eventually um but uh but even even something like that was able to be investigated and found rather quickly this person's murder happened inside her home there there's just too much evidence that was there that either got covered up or or got mistakenly covered up yeah and um it just makes you kind of like raise your eyebrows and like why you know, right. Like who are we protecting if we are protecting somebody? And, uh, yeah, it's just a really weird situation. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Michelle was some great insight here and, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you could tell from her interview or not, but like she, she definitely has her ways of, uh, thinking, you know, she knows what happened at this point. And yeah. she's very passionate about that. And you can tell, and it, you know, take with it what you will. Like, this is her side of the story. This mm-hmm. is everything that she's investigated. Um, so don't come to us like we're, you know, preaching <laughs> and uh, telling you exactly like we know what happened. Yeah. This was our guest. And this was her side of the story. And this is everything that she's looked into to inform us about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like I said, and- don't. We're just hoping we don't get the backlash, like, like you know, that we were the ones that were investigating this and yeah. put all this information out. This was simply just our guest rehearsing and That's rehashing right. everything that she went through in her book. So. Yep. We know nothing. And uh, <laughs> we, we were too young to be there yeah. <laughs> during the you event. Uh, just a bit. We weren't even born yet. Uh, <laughs> so just want to make that clear. And uh, but yeah, it was. Um, it was a, a murder for the ages, especially in uh, in the city of Lebanon, Pennsylvania. And once again, Lebanon, PA getting on the map uh, and not for the best of reasons. Sure. You know, we talked last week about the Blue Eyed Six and how, mm-hmm. how they made uh, national and world news back in the day. And uh, this one's uh, another one that kind of uh, had made a lot of news around the country. And, and it was during a time when there was so much other news going on, you know, we had the death of Martin Luther King and we had, uh, well, actually the uh, assassination, I should say of Martin sure. Luther King and the assassination of Robert uh, Kennedy 
Um, and obviously the Vietnam War was going on at the time. So uh, this this found a way to make the news even through all that stuff happening. So, you know, it was a big deal. Absolutely. Yep. Oh, but yeah, um, but that was our interview. And uh, I hope you folks enjoyed it. And if there's one thing, no matter what you come out of this interview, I would say uh, Michelle is, um, you know, she's not only not afraid to speak her mind, but she's also um, she appears to be able to back everything she says, you know, um, without any hesitation. Uh, and she had no problem with correcting us on a couple occasions as well. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, and I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, I, Hey, like, like we always talk about, you know, nothing wrong with interviewing people of passion, you know, and, uh, and she's definitely no exception to that role. Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, and we don't want to be putting false information out there either. So if there was yeah. something that we got wrong and she's going to correct us, uh, then great. Let her, you know, let her correct us. Yep. And, um, exactly exactly so yeah, yeah if you'd like to learn more about this and get into a little bit more detail find her book uh justice denied the unsolved murder of peggy reber on amazon and uh mm-hmm. as howie mentioned make sure you check you do get the uh the paperback version so that you can uh, get the regular size and that all the content is there for you to read and see legibly yes most definitely so uh yeah that was our interview with uh peggy reber and uh and as you Michelle said Gooden. About Peggy Reber. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Breaking, uh, breaking news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That, that would be breaking news indeed. And, uh, I think that would put our show on the map, right? I think so. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was our interview with Michelle Gooden about Peggy Reber. And, uh, and um, you know, what do we have coming up next week again, Troy? Oh, we have uh, Tim McMaster, who is vying for the seat that was left vacant by uh, Senator Dave Arnold on uh, his unfortunate passing in January. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tim McMaster is from York, Pennsylvania. He's a, he's a farmer. He's a former pro wrestler. And um, he would be serving, I think, I think it's York, Lebanon, and Dolphin, part of Dolphin County. Yeah, I think it's part of Dolphin, Dolphin County. Yeah. 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 So, um, so, yeah, he wants to uh, represent us in the Mm -hmm. senate so let's see what he has to say right yeah so if you guys have any questions if you're listening to the show and you have any questions you'd like to drop for him um you can do with that you can hit if you know either howie or us personally you can hit us up or uh we do have a an email address obviously it's at the front of the show and the end of the show uh stay tuned uh tnh at gmail.com you can hit us up there at that email yep you can message us on social media um anything you know just find a way to get a hold of us and if you have a question to drop let us know and then uh we'll get it lined up to uh ask tim when we speak with him on wednesday evening oh and by the way and this is something we didn't announce but uh i guess we got to go ahead to uh do a live show on oh yes. yes yes so we'll be doing a live on location show is that friday before memorial day it is it's the friday before memorial day at uh, mount gretna craft brewery and uh that's uh what 322 and 241 intersection um 322 and 117 117 117. yeah it's right at um like if you're going towards hershey from lebanon county uh it's right before you get to campbelltown in fact i think you are technically in campbelltown at that point yeah i think so uh, also yeah 
so yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a yeah. lot of fun. In fact, I think if I, if I was reading, you guys were messaging like ridiculously amount and I'm like trying to catch up and read them all. And if I, if I saw it correctly, it looks like, uh, we're going to have a, um, a beer contest where that's what I was gathering, where one beer is going to be about me and the other beer is going to be about you. And I guess, um, we're going to see who uh, drinks the most of what um, in the audience, not me, <laughs> but, um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. It sounds like it's going to be a fun show and I'm, and we're going to try and get a lot of people there um, that are fans of the show to uh, partake in that. So looking yeah, forward and, to uh, it. And uh, he does have a band lined up for after we're done too. Um, he has oh, cool. um, the name of the band is called the shrimp Ryan jig band. Oh my so, <laughs> yeah all right so so uh yeah i'm interested to hear a little bit of what they have to do too then afterwards yeah um but yeah this will be a good time this will be our one-year anniversary show yep and um yeah boy brad's been more than accommodating trying to help us out with this so Heck i really yeah. do appreciate that so yeah brad's the man for sure so Yes, all right. sir. well hey with that being said that uh that concludes our show and i know it's a little longer than usual but uh i felt like uh or we felt like you know what michelle had to offer was pretty important and i feel like it was uh you know some interesting takes on it so yes um yeah so with that being said uh i hope you folks have a great rest of the week and uh look forward to our interview coming up next week with uh tim mcmaster so with that right. being said, take care, everyone. Everyone take care. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to another episode. Please like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at StayTunedTNH. Email us, StayTunedTNH at gmail.com. And uh, whichever podcast avenue you're listening to us on, Google, Apple, Spotify, uh, please subscribe, share, rate, and review. And until next week, stay tuned.